Now's a great time to say, if you have kids that you would like to have in the nursery. <laughs> Again, it's never required, but if that's something you want, you want some adult time uh, with adult Bible study, and you want them to have kid time with kid Bible study, it's an option. <laughs> Bye, Will. <laughs> Luke 22. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the text up on the screens behind me, I think. Screens went dark, I don't know. Ethan's working on some stuff. But here's the thing. There's also physical Bibles around the room. We'll kick it old, old school, right? So Luke 22, if you don't have a Bible, find one. If you don't own a Bible outside of this space, man, take that one home. We value God's Word here. Uh, we think good things happen. We call it advantageous if uh, you still are Bibles because you need them. Uh, so please do that. Uh, Luke 22. So we read a second ago uh, the entire uh, 12th chapter of Exodus. And for some people, it's kind of long. I get that. Uh, but it accounts for us the story of the Passover, the story of God rescuing his people out of the bondage of physical slavery, right? A people that would one day, uh, soon after that, become his covenant people. Uh, it recounts for us the story, and, and I would say it's a, an absolutely tragic story, an incredibly terrifying story. If you, if you don't think it's terrifying, you weren't really paying attention, all right? So the, the angel death passes over the land of Egypt because Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart kept getting harder and harder, and his will kept growing stronger and stronger, and God was going to cut him down. Plagues kept ramping up until it finally gets to the 10th plague, and God breaks him. Oh, what did it take to break him? But God provides a promise. He provides a means for escape. Calls everyone who places their trust in him to grab a lamb. Not any old lamb, a spotless lamb, right? To kill it, to eat it, to use its blood for this symbolic thing, a painting over their doorpost, and everybody who trusts him in doing that, God is going to rescue them, right? And then he tells them multiple times in that encounter to remember what he's doing here, right? Over the course of chapter 12, there are at least two times, you could probably point out three, where he specifically says, do this every year. They're no longer in slavery. They're no longer in captivity. But he says, do this over and over again. Every year, sacrifice this animal in the same way as a remembrance of what I have done, right? Year after year after year after year after year, God gives them a picture of how he saves. He rescues them out of Egypt without any help from them. I don't know if you know this, but painting some lamb's blood on the lentils and the door posts, not exactly work. It's a trust exercise, right? He rescues them without any input from themselves. He rescues them. Uh, he gives them this picture over and over and over and over again of the reality that their sin is an ever-present issue with the unleavened bread and the leaven and that they need the righteousness, the spotlessness of a foreign substitute. The Israelites celebrated a meal every year year after year after year as a reminder of who God is and what he has done you fast forward to the time of Jesus about 1500 years later 
and you find that God's people are still celebrating that meal, right? Now, there's been some, se- some seasons of disobedience, there's, so there's been some gaps in, the, in the, the timeline there. So there's some times where they weren't celebrating it because they just didn't know, and they walked away from God's law and all these kinds of things. And so there was some gaps in there, but about 1,500 years of celebrating the same meal over and over and over again, Right? And then you get to Jesus' day. So what do you think Jesus thinks about the Passover meal? Think he's for it? Think he's against it? That's the Texas way of saying against it. <laughs> Again it? Again it? Luke 22, we see how Jesus views this feast. Do we have it on the screen? Starting in verse 7. There it is. Then came the day of unleavened bread, that's a phrase we've heard before, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, well, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Okay, so Jesus was Jewish, right? He was a good little Jewish boy. And as a good little Jewish boy, Jesus celebrates all the things good little Jewish boys celebrate, right? Including the Passover. Jesus celebrated the Passover. Now, this is happening incredibly late in Jesus' life, all right? Those of you with a physical Bible will probably see a little superscript above the beginning of chapter 22 that says something to the tune of the plot to kill Jesus. That's a plot that's eventually carried out, right? right? So this is happening at the tail end of Jesus' life. And a major theme of the Gospel of Luke, and maybe even so major we can call it the theme of the Gospel of Luke, is to show that Jesus is making a beeline to the cross. That he is heading to Jerusalem. In fact, Luke says it this way. He set his face like flint to head to Jerusalem. A major theme in the Gospel of Luke is to show that Jesus will not be deterred. That the cross is no accident. He's heading that direction. And he's going on purpose, right? Luke Luke points out to us over and over again through his gospel account that Jesus, even though he's being requested to to be in charge here and people want to make him king there and people are begging him to do miracles over here, that Jesus ignores all that and makes a beeline to the cross. He will not be deterred. But the Passover meal? Oh, Jesus has time for the Passover meal, right? Jesus has time for that. He not only tells his disciples uh, how to prepare it, but where to prepare it, right? What does he say? He, he kind of shows off a little bit of, of who he is, that he's no just mere guy, that he's, got some, that he's got some God stuff going on, right? He paints this elaborate picture of what they're going to find. What does he say? He says, go into the town. You're going to find a guy carrying a jar of water. It's not specific at all. You're going to follow that guy, which is not weird. If you're going to follow that guy into a house, and there's going to be another guy in that house, he's going to own the house. You're going to ask that guy that, to use the upstairs apartment for their Passover meal, and the guy's going to say yes. Right? Not specific at all. And verse 13 says, that's exactly what they find, right? They go into the village, find a guy carrying a jar of water. Some people think it's Mark. Find a guy carrying a jar of water. 
They follow that guy around for a while. He goes inside a house, probably Mark's dad's house, if it is Mark. They're like, hey, Mark's dad. <laughs> Can we hang out here tonight? The teacher has need of it. Okay. Just coincidence, right? Not a coincidence? Does Jesus do coincidence? So if Jesus doesn't do coincidence, does Jesus celebrate the Passover because it's just some ancient tradition that his religion celebrates? Does Jesus celebrate the Passover just because he wants to take part in a religious festival that celebrates being rescued from physical bondage? Or maybe he's smart enough to have something else going on? I'm going to go with B. You going to go with B? I'm going to go with B. Verse 14. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, or but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it, would, it could be who was going to do this. All right, so verse 14, let's set the scene here. It says that they reclined at table, right? So don't, don't think dinner table with a bunch of chairs, and certainly don't think Da Vinci's The Last Supper, right? Like, no one in real life sits on a single side of the table so the camera can see them, right? That's not how the world works, all right? So when it says they reclined at table, it means they were reclining at the table, right? Jesus and his disciples are hanging out in the upper room. There's probably a bunch of other people running around, uh, servants and the master of the house bringing wine and bringing food back and forth. So there's a lot of people in and out. But Jesus and his disciples are there and they're reclining at table. So what does it mean to recline at table? Well, it means whatever, what every other first century Near Eastern uh, group of people would do when they reclined at table. They would lay down. There are no chairs here. They're not sitting upright. There's a bunch of pillows and cushions all over the place. They're, they're probably propped up on an elbow, just kind of reaching out and grabbing food and putting it in their mouth. Like, that's got to be a lazier way to eat, right? Like, I'm, I'm overweight now. If I laid down to eat, different. We'd be having, we'd be having other conversations right now. No, it says they're reclining at table, and there's all this stuff going around, and it says that, that Jesus stops the middle of this traditional feast and does something weird. They've been practicing this, this meal for a millennia and a half. And yeah, there's some gaps in there, but I mean, I don't know about you, but if I've stopped something for two weeks and then pick it back up, I'm like, I've been doing it all along. That's what, that's what religious people do. You think they have some tradition tied to it? Religious people don't do that. Not at all, right? Not 
No, and listen, if you, if you participated in, in a Seder meal or something like that, you know exactly what's going on here. There's certain times that they're supposed to eat certain things, right? There's certain times that they're supposed to take a drink of wine. There's certain times that they're supposed to sing a song. There's certain times that they're supposed to pray. There's certain times that they're supposed to stand up and go somewhere else in the room. This is an incredibly detailed list of stuff that's supposed to happen. It's all lined out, and it's all on purpose, right? And it's all pointing to something. To the Jewish mind, it's pointing to the original Passover, right? 1,500 years ago of God rescuing them out of bondage. And in the middle of this 1,500-year-old meal, Jesus stands up and goes off script. I think it's because he's a rebel. Just wants to stick it to generations of a bygone era. Nope. Jesus picks up some bread. Bread that every good little Jewish kid in the room would have immediately understood to be representative of something in the original Passover. Jesus picks up this bread and says, this is my body. He picks up a cup of wine, and a cup of wine that every good little Jewish kid in the, the room would have immediately understood to be representative of something that God did a long, long time ago and said, this is my blood. Jesus isn't a rebel for rebel's sake. Jesus is lifting the level of their eyes. Jesus breaks with all those years of tradition, not because he wants to stick it to anybody, but because he's showing that a 1,500-year-old meal is actually just a shadow of something far bigger. That a 1,500-year-old meal celebrating that God rescued his people out of physical slavery is a tiny little taste of the far more eternal rescue God's got in mind. Shortly after this all plays out, Jesus has his body literally broken. And he has his, has his blood literally spilled as a covering for our spiritual bondage. And in verse 19, verse 19, he says this. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, quote, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning we have an opportunity to remember. We've got bread and juice. It's an opportunity to remember. It's a reminder of his goodness to us. It's a reminder of the cost of being reconciled to God. It's a reminder of the links that our God has gone to to show us his love and the world his glory. And so in a second, we're going to give everyone here who is a follower of Jesus an opportunity to remember this table is for anyone who is actively repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus as Lord. It's a table for those who, though they have failed this week, understand their need for a savior and trust in him and him to be it what about for those who aren't a follower of jesus what do, what do y'all do man i'm glad you're here 
I hope this is a place where you feel welcome. I hope this is a place where you can work through the truth claims of Jesus and his gospel. Listen, we can't ever answer all your questions, but I hope some of your questions are answered here. And if you're dumb enough to keep hearing me talk about Jesus, continue to hang out. But this is a family deal. You can't remember something you've never taken part in. So if that's you, just opt out. No one's judging you here. The point is that we're focused on our own heart at the moment, not yours. So if if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't worry about it. You stay seated. But that doesn't mean you don't participate. Part of what we're doing here is a witness. A witness to our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. A witness that Jesus is more valuable to us than every other thing. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but that's a witness that's desperately needed in this world. So you participate by watching us trust and watching us prioritize things correctly. In a second, I'm going to pray, and JB's going to come back up and play. Oftentimes, we pass the plates around. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Today, we wanted to do something a little different. This is a conscience-level issue that for those who are repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus as Lord, show their trust through a picture. A picture that our God is big enough and smart enough and knows us well enough to see fit to give us. I don't know about you, but I need the picture sometimes. So JB's going to come. He's going to play. You come as you are ready. For those of you who are participating, prepared to participate in the benevolence offering, bring it with you. We've got plates up here. There's no structure to this as, other than our God is big enough to work on each of our hearts individually. And so when you're ready, you come. God, you're good to us. Thank you for being the spotless lamb that we could never be ourselves. God, thank you for engaging with your perfect love. And not simply sitting away on a far throne and being constantly frustrated with our inability to get it right. You instead put on flesh and dwelt among us. You came to be the sacrifice that we couldn't offer ourselves. God, our sin is ever before us. Thank you for being that foreign righteousness. God, convict us of sin. Bring those things to our attention so that we may repent of them and trust you instead. Thank you for a picture. Thank you for a picture of bread and juice that means so much more to those who have trusted in you. You're good to us. In your name we pray.